We are back for our second season. Woo! Hi. My name is Leaf, and you're listening to Health Righteous. In our last season, we talked about genetic modification being used for good or evil. And we talked about heavy metals that we're getting exposed to through certain foods and water. And then we learned about five everyday foods that are trying to kill us. We went deep on special diets. We talked about whether or not plant-based burgers and dairy alternatives are any good for us or the planet. And then finally, we blew the lid off the oil industry to get a better look at what shortcuts food companies are taking and what it's doing to our health. That is a lot of ground we covered. And there are countless morsels, limitless gems, and innumerable tidbits for you to devour in those episodes. So if you are just joining us, dig into those two. The world looks a little different now than the last time we chatted. So it only feels right for this episode to address those changes in an episode that I'm calling How to Survive a Pandemic. Spoiler alert, it's probably not what you think. This episode isn't going to cover all the basics that have been drilled into our heads at every given opportunity. Things like washing your hands, covering your mouth and nose when you're in public settings, social distancing and all that, because that's only a piece of it. A big piece, probably the biggest actually, but not the piece we're going to dive into. What I'm going to talk about is what's happening beneath the surface, and that's the toll that it's taking on our minds. Whether or not we're able to accurately pinpoint the causes of death, and whether or not it's attributable to COVID, year over year, we've seen about 215,000 additional deaths in the U.S. alone at the time of recording this episode, with black and brown communities and people with underlying health conditions being hit the hardest. And at Health Righteous, we believe that black lives don't just matter, they're sacred. But beyond the laundry list of potential symptoms associated with COVID-19, is what happens when our bodies are exposed to an uncontrollable stress for an extended period of time. This makes a physical change in our brains, which is where our story begins this episode. What scientists like Dr. Amy Arnston, professor of neuroscience and psychology at Yale University in New Haven, have learned is that high levels of chemicals caused by uncontrollable stressors shut down our prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that deals with our higher-level cognitive functions, like memory, reasoning, our ability to focus, empathy, moral conscience, adaptability to change, patience, and hope. But it doesn't just shut down these higher processes, it also activates our amygdala, which is our primitive part of our brain. The lizard brain that's reactive, and where our fight-or-flight response is located. To reiterate, when we're exposed to stressors that we cannot control, our bodies release chemicals that shut down our higher-level brain functions, making us distracted, forgetful, disorganized, reactive, emotional, irritable, impatient, and rigid. Prolonged exposure to these chemicals can cause parts of our prefrontal cortex to atrophy, causing us to lose perspective and feel despair. This also happens as we get older. We may respond with helplessness to the deaths of friends and family members, the loss of jobs and income, 
and the development of age-related health problems, causing our older selves to neglect our medical care, financial affairs, and other important needs. I've got some good news for you, but first, there's a couple studies that came to mind when I was researching this topic that I think are especially relevant now. If we go back to the 1960s, back before ethics were ever a part of the scientific process, we see a study that was performed on dogs. In this study, there was a control group where dogs briefly wore a harness and then had the harness removed. And then one set of dogs whose harnesses shocked the dogs until the dogs turned the lever off, allowing them to be in control of their stressor. And then finally, a third group, unaware of the second group, received a shock at the same time as the second group, until the dogs of the second group turned the shock off, leaving their shock to feel random and uncontrollable. In the second phase of the study, they placed those same dogs in a room with a short divider separating two floors. The dogs were placed on one side of the divider, and then they received a shock. When the shock began, the dogs from the first two groups, the control group and the group that had control over their stressor, the dogs simply jumped over the divider to the other side of the floor where there was no shock. But sadly for the third group, the group of dogs who had experienced no control over their stress, they had become so helpless that when the shock began, the dogs just lied there and cried. Threats, rewards, and seeing other dogs perform the same task had no effect on the helpless dogs. This study is referred to as learned helplessness. Humans who performed mental tasks in a study with a distracting noise also performed better when they were simply given the switch to turn the noise off, even if they rarely used the switch. What all of this tells us is that we need to feel some level of control for our higher-level brain to function. But as I mentioned earlier, there's good news! This atrophy that's happening to our prefrontal cortex is reversible. Here are some techniques that we can do to alleviate our stress and give us a sense of control. You might want to write these down. Deep breathing normalizes brain activity. Let's take a breath together. Hmm. Exercise can strengthen your prefrontal cortex. Keeping a consistent schedule, whether it's working from home, working out, or a safe social exchange with friends or loved ones. Talking with friends. Experiencing beauty and humor through music, movies, books, online museums, etc. Helping people. One of the main stress hormones that our brains release is called cortisol, which serves a very important part of our sleep-wake schedule, also known as our circadian rhythm, but is also what we release in the face of stress. But there are a couple things we can do to manage our cortisol levels. Mindfulness and meditation is a huge asset to have, especially if you can incorporate it into a schedule. It's basically a triple threat against stress because you've got the core of meditation, which is quieting the mind. Then you've got deep breathing. And if you throw it on a schedule, boom, you've got a super weapon against stress. Another tool for your arsenal is something we'll cover in depth in an upcoming episode called Health Righteous on Mushrooms. But I'll give you a little sneak peek. A lot of mushrooms have what's called adaptogenic qualities. Adaptogens carry medicinal properties in their ability to increase the resistance to biological stress. This classification falls a little more in the homeopathic realm, but as we'll talk about in that episode, 
Mushrooms and other adaptogens have a lot to offer, so why not use them as a tool in defending our minds from stress? I'm all about incorporating these activities and supplements into our lives that will keep our brains strong and our hope alive. A way to frame some of this information that good old Dr. Arnston from Yale gave us is that we're finding out that all psychiatric disorders have a neurobiological basis. They're rooted in the physical. So anytime that we feel like we should be able to overpower our emotions or not let them get to us, we're neglecting the fact that our brain is literally being bombarded with chemicals that are influencing our behavior. Once we understand this, we can feel forgiveness for ourselves. It can be liberating. Sad about those poor puppers, but interesting that over 50 years later, we're able to apply what we've learned from that study to our daily lives. So those are a few of the techniques we've got to stay alive during a pandemic. But I've got a whole lot more coming up for you after this little breather. Today's sponsor is The Forager Project. The Forager Project is a family-owned, 100% organic, plant-based food company based in California, dedicated to making the world a better place than the one they found. They've got yogurts, kefirs, milks, and sour creams all made from organic cashews. If you know me, or you've listened to any of my episodes of this podcast, you know how important it is to me to buy organic. And I've been known to go through a tub or two of their Costco-sized unsweetened cashew yogurt. But beyond being passionate about organic plant-based food, they are equally passionate about nurturing a healthy democracy. They believe that voting is the most essential ingredient needed to do this. We've gotten really lucky that we still have United States Postal Service that we can use to mail our ballots in early if you're in a state that allows mail-in ballots. And despite what anyone might say to try to dissuade us, the facts all show that it is safe and legal. Whether you're hitting the polls or going absentee, get out and vote. Check out the voting resources and information our friends put together at www.foragerproject.com vote and on social at Forager Project. All right, back to the show. So uncontrollable stress, not great for our brains. We kind of have to do things to keep us seated in control, like voting or meditation, or exercising, or talking with our friends, or being social in whatever capacity we can, these are all things that will give us some control over our stressors and keep our lives kind of moving forward. As we're just rounding the summer solstice, the next few months will see days getting shorter as winter approaches. Winter is coming. Shorter days and the upcoming holidays are also a time when people experience some of the biggest mental health challenges as well. I've personally experienced side effects of this in the past, and it's likely that you or someone you know has as well. I want to introduce you to four friends that will help you make it through the months ahead. You're probably acquaintances with at least one or two of them, but when you get the whole gang together, it's a blast. First up is dopamine. Woo! Our first friend is definitely one that motivates a lot of our behavior because it comes directly from sex, eating, and playing video games. I recently watched The Social Dilemma, and I definitely recommend it, but I would go as far as to say that social media and gambling are also going to drive dopamine production because one of the big hallmarks of dopamine is that it drives motivation through wanting, often more than liking. What does that mean? 
Dopamine can be present in addictive settings where methamphetamine and cocaine are involved, but it's very specific to the wanting of these drugs and doesn't come from receiving these substances. In the 1890s, a Russian physiologist named Ivan Pavlov performed a test where he would reward his dog with food, but audio clues like footsteps or the sound of a metronome would cause the dog to know the food was coming, and the dog would begin to salivate. This study has been replicated, and what it found was just the anticipation of the reward would trigger a rush of dopamine. When you open social media, it's like pulling a slot machine, where what you get is unpredictable. But more often than not, you'll find something that triggers a reward center in your brain that will keep you coming back for more. So we can clearly see that there are good ways to access dopamine, like preparing to eat a delicious meal. There are organisms that will actually die of starvation without adequate dopamine production. Consensual sex with a trusted partner could also be a way to add some dopamine. Video games, gambling, social media, and drugs are all ones that are probably going to access this part of the brain, but without giving us much good in return. Well, food is easy. We definitely need that. How about sex? What role does sex play? Sex with a partner is one way to meet our next friend, oxytocin. Oxytocin, also known as the cuddle hormone, can actually come from a number of different causes. They can come with physical contact, like a hug or hand-holding, as well as during sexual stimulation or orgasm. But it can also come from breastfeeding, giving birth, and plays an important role in bonding. When you pet an animal, you're practicing a technique that's been used for over 15,000 years. Oxytocin has myriad effects on our social behavior, from a mother's ability to bond with her child, reducing the effects of depression and anxiety, increasing empathy, trust, and romantic attachment, and it can even heal wounds by acting as an anti-inflammatory. Oxytocin is definitely a good friend to have. Keep that in mind so you never underestimate the value of a hug or a good pet. An interesting side note. In animal trials, oxytocin can actually inhibit the tolerance to addictive drugs and can reduce withdrawal symptoms. On that note, MDMA use can increase feelings of love, empathy, and connection to others by stimulating oxytocin activity through activation of serotonin receptors. Which brings us to our third friend, serotonin. Please welcome to the stage, serotonin. It's not just MDMA and psychedelics that have a use for our body's serotonin. Serotonin is in charge of the regulation of mood, cognition, learning, memory, appetite, and physiological processes like vomiting, which is no surprise because 90% of our serotonin is located in our GI tract, where it regulates our intestinal movements. Serotonin also plays into our reward system. If dopamine is the chemical that drives the motivation for wanting delicious food, serotonin is the chemical we get from eating that food especially foods that have tryptophan in them, which can turn into serotonin in our bodies. Tryptophan is an amino acid that's typically found in high-protein foods like animal proteins, nuts, and seeds. If you've ever been in a food coma or felt like you needed a nap after a big meal, you've likely felt the effects of tryptophan. Another way to get some serotonin is from sunlight. Exposure to sunlight, even for a short while, can have a big effect on our mental health. And if you're in an area that doesn't get much sunlight during the winter months, there are lamps that can mimic this effect and stimulate serotonin production as well. People with depression, anxiety, or social phobia can find treatment in altering their levels of serotonin through medication. 
I'm going to bring it back to something I mentioned earlier, our circadian rhythm. I mentioned that cortisol, the stress hormone, plays an important role in our sleep-wake cycle. It helps us wake up and get out of bed in the morning. If we've got too much dopamine before we go to bed, it can keep us awake, and if there's not enough serotonin, it can disrupt our sleep. There's a handful of brain chemicals that go into a good night's rest, but I'll just sum it up by saying that maintaining a consistent sleep-wake schedule will do wonders for your health. It's one schedule that we should definitely try to keep. Our last friend that I want to talk about is more of a frenemy to some, but that's endolphins. No, endorphins. <laughs> endorphins. Endorphins are the reward chemical that we get after exercising. Like the runner's high we get after a vigorous aerobic exercise, or a run, or riding a bike. Endorphins also play a role in inhibiting the response to pain. But beyond that, endorphins can also produce the euphoric state that comes from orgasm, listening to music, or eating chocolate. Laughter can increase endorphin production, and meditation can also lead to endorphin release. That, those, that's the squad. That's the gang. Squad goals, right? Four of those. Four, four, yep. We got four. Hey, what were your friends' names again? Oh yeah, we got dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Those are our new best buddies. Those are our, those are going to be who keep us safe and cuddly and warm throughout these winter months. Because we know we're going to need them. We're going to have to bring them in for a big old group hug when the times get tough. Who knew you had these friends here all along? So, health righteous listener, how's your head? After listening to this episode, I bet it is brimming with new and exciting ideas to keep it healthy and to survive this pandemic like never before. We threw out a lot of ideas in this episode, so don't be shy to go back and listen again or scoop up that first season. It goes by quick, and there are a ton of other survival tips in there. Be gentle with yourself and be patient with others. If you're feeling hopeless, know that you're not alone. I'm an outspoken advocate for therapy, especially while we're dealing with more than we likely ever have before. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. One more time. It is 1-800-273-8255. If you've learned something in this episode and you want to share it with someone, pass this podcast along to your friends your family, your yoga instructor, your arch Pokemon rival, your getaway driver, your neighbor's incredible and flawless world-class gardener, anyone who's made your life interesting that you want to have the best shot at surviving this pandemic and living a long, healthy life. Rip me a new one in a review on Apple Podcasts, or say, hey, Leaf is just the voice I needed to hear today. Consider becoming a patron I'm currently accepting patrons on Patreon and sponsorship of many kinds. So visit patreon.com slash healthrighteous or shoot me a DM. Follow Health Righteous on Instagram, YouTube, or visit our website. Just type Health Righteous, all one word, into your browser and drop a dot before the US. Thank you for listening. It's a demonstration of self-love and self-kindness. Now Get the heck out of here and tell the world how great this podcast is. And vote. Come back in two weeks for a new episode, and we'll see you 
next time. Health Righteous! My back is so sweaty.